The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. I know this is crazy, but maybe this podcast started out as something else. A chameleon, a lizard, maybe even a dog. It ate those leaves and it's changing into whatever it is now to what we just saw. Today we have a very special guest on the show. Jordan, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit for the hi, uh, hi, lovely hi. listeners at home? Yes, hello lovely listeners. I am Jordan Morris, a writer and podcaster of a variety of projects, including the upcoming Archie Horror Anthology, Pops Chocolate Shop of Horrors, in your local comic book store, Woo-hoo! March 22nd. That's so soon. How does that feel, Jordan? It's it's exciting, yeah. I I was like a big comics kid, and uh, working in comics is a like kind of recent ish thing for me, and it is so fun. It's like, it's like you know, it, it's a childhood dream, and it's like, well, obviously, when I get to do my childhood dream, it'll be like dark and sinister and ruin my life somehow. But in this case, it's like, no, I got to do it, and it was really fun, and I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of wish you know for. It would be more poetic if it, you know, tore me tore me apart somehow, if it ruined my life, but uh, it's just kind of been fun. I guess it still could ruin my life. I guess something could happen. There um, is still time. There's yeah, still there's time, the- yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, you know, this, this Archie, uh, you know, anthology might just put you into such a level of superstardom that it's just nothing but, you know, just yeah. benders and right, right. just, you know. Just doing doing blow with Brian Michael Bendis backstage at <laughs> Hall H. Well, of course, of we, course. We uh, yeah. get into a fist fight with Gail Simone. Hell yeah! <laughs> my 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 tragic downfall starts all because of the gang from Riverdale. Uh, yeah. Before we get too much into uh, the the Archie comic, which of course we're we're very excited to to talk about. Just wanted to, you know, acknowledge some of your other uh, bona fides. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, you you are, I guess, one of the OG podcasters in a lot of ways. How, how long has Jordan Jesse Go been going? Oh gosh, fifteen ish years. I think we're we're kind of in the upper seven hundreds um, when it comes to episode numbers. Uh, yeah, we Jesse and I uh, do a podcast. Jesse Thorne, I should say. Um, he of many other great podcasts. Um, we do a just goofy fuck around chat show. It's very podcast 1.0. We dick around. We have a guest every week. We take some <laughs> phone calls. It's very like format light and very kind of nonsense heavy. Yeah, and and we we started doing it. You know, 15 years ago when there were you know, when podcasts were still a pretty niche thing. I guess they still are kind of niche in their own way, but, like, even more niche than they are now. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, it was like, you know, kind of like Mac tips and Harry Potter fan fiction and like that was podcasts. So <laughs> yeah, we 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 had a college radio show together. We went to UC Santa Cruz and we did a did a, a goofy, you know, show on our college radio station. I'm sure they were upwards of three people listening at all times. But um <laughs> yeah, we really loved doing it and it was like a fun, you know, a fun way I started like creating comedy for myself. And yeah, I think I think definitely like started started to get me thinking about like doing comedy as a career and yeah and then after we graduated um jesse was hip to this new tech called podcasting and we we just kind of we just kind of did it and here we are still doing it i have to fangirl a little bit because i listened to a few (laughs) of your your episodes and I am a massive Critical Role fan. Oh, yeah. I love Fox Machina. You guys, your discussion with Sam Regal just Sam made Regal. my little nerd heart explode. And I am now like one person away from from my Critical <laughs> Role yeah. fantasy. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> no, happy to do it. Sam's the greatest. And I am a huge fan of the Vox Machina show on uh, over there on Amazon Prime. Isn't it, isn't it so great? Just, it's so just, good the pinnacle of adult like animation i yeah, feel like yeah yeah the you know the like emotional stuff works but the fighting yep. is cool and the jokes are good just like every little little bit of it works and it's amazing that they can you know kind of have that tone you know in adult animation where you know like uh you know nothing against uh you know your adult swim shows but um they can be kind of like heavy on randomness and light on feeling yeah so, yeah uh, absolutely it's nice that nice that something can kind of do all that stuff and yeah sam's, can... sam's an awesome dude uh, keep an eye on the jordan jesse go feed there might be a new sam regal episode <gasps> dropping oh. soon tell him uh skinny gay boy in utah loves him so <laughs> I, will him, I will text him now <laughs> oh god oh god i'm going to need more wine <laughs> <laughs> well, not only have you done uh, Jordan Jesse Go, which you know obviously puts you at you know the the forefront of, of podcasting, we also then made a you know very uh, big splash with Bubble. Uh, I know that that got all of the awards and you know nice uh, blurbs from from various magazines and yes. all of that. So. All all awards we we, we egotted <laughs> through <laughs> releasing a graphic novel. Yes, I say a podcast first that was turned into a graphic novel, and yeah, we got it. We got a Blockbuster Entertainment Award. We got a People's Choice, even just like awards that aren't around anymore. We got them. Um, yeah, yeah, you got slimed. You know, the whole <laughs> yes, the Kids Choice Award. Uh, yeah, Mark Summers presented it himself. Oh damn! How was yeah. the slime? What did it feel like? It's it tastes amazing. It did wonders <laughs> for my skin. Love oh, getting good. slimed. Good, good. The, Love to the... get slimed. The moisturizing regimen that we all need and want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, but no. Uh, so, so Bubble was a uh, a scripted comedy sci-fi podcast uh, that we did over there on Maximum Fun, and the good folks at First Second Publishing uh, asked if we wanted to turn it into a graphic novel. And I've I've never said yes to anything faster in my life. It was so much fun. And yeah, we got nominated for two Eisners, which was totally awesome and thrilling. Uh, did not win, but who needs to win? Not me. Um, I mean, yeah, getting, we- getting, you know, even nominated for an Eisner, it's something you can, you know, still put on, on your yeah, wall. It, it, no- yeah, nomination okay. letter. Yeah, totally. It was it, it was awesome, awesome, awesome to be nominated and like so fun to sit in that room during the award ceremony with, you know, like 
Neil Gaiman and uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, you know, and, and just totally, totally wild to be there amongst those people. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and the bubble graphic novel I think turned out great. I co-wrote it with a great comedy writer named Sarah Morgan, and um, Tony Cliff, the great Tony Cliff, did the art, and uh, yeah, it turned out beautifully. It's uh, yeah, kind of a a funny satirical sci-fi romp with some Buffy vibes, and uh, you know, it's about the power of friendship. And how you can use it to kill aliens. Uh, yeah, it's called Bubble. It's it's still out there, out there in stores. You can you can grab it where you get your books and comics. You know, get yeah, pick that up next to the Archie comic that you're going to be picking up too. Yeah, yeah, wow. definitely. If you can, if you can, if you can get those in one trip, that's a that's a that's a fun weekend of comics right there. Hell yeah. Um, and you know, you've also just written for various TV shows, uh, everything from At Midnight, which I uh, quite enjoyed in its unfortunately not long enough run, and you know, Unikitty and oh, Jellystone yeah. sure, and all sorts sure. of dope stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I should mention the Jellystone episodes I wrote are uh, not up yet, but they are in a forthcoming season of Jellystone. I was a big fan of the uh, first couple couple seasons of that show, so it was like a total thrilled to be asked to write for them so yeah keep keep an eye on your hbo max app for uh for new jellystone um and i also wanted to since since we are a horror podcast uh hear a little bit about a youth group because uh, you mentioned this on your website under your writing credentials and i want to know everything about it totally yeah i'm really excited i actually just did my final proofreading of youth group um so yeah it's definitely it's definitely in my brain uh it is an upcoming ya horror comedy graphic novel from myself and a great artist named bowen mcgurdy um who did a great another great um horror comedy series called specter inspectors uh over there for boom studios it's another book you can check out uh, her art is beautiful in that um yeah and it is a kind of based around my time uh in orange county california in the 90s in a hip youth group where a dude with tattoo sleeves sat backwards in a chair and rapped with us about a cool dude named jc who was pretty punk rock um (laughs) yeah so i was in one of those hip youth groups and i just you know kind of had a had a fantasy about what if those goofballs had to do actual exorcisms and yeah that's that's kind of the premise of the book it's a um a kind of a gothy skeptic who gets roped into this youth group where they're doing actual exorcisms and uh, you know, adventures, laughs, spooks ensue. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about Youth Group. That that should be coming out next year from first second. So yeah, keep keep an eye on social media and stuff. I'll definitely be be flogging that hard and and letting people know when they can pre order. Well, we might have to have you back because that is exactly like all of our favorite things. Oh, good. Um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, I hope it. I I hope it speaks to people. I'm I'm really proud of it. The the um the uh. The doing the final proofread, which is such a thrill. I think it, it's turning out so good. And uh, Bowen is a goddamn genius. Her work is so beautiful. So, yeah, definitely, like, uh, d- check out the work of Bowen McGurdy and uh, and get pumped for get pumped for youth group. Honestly, you had me at hip youth group, but then you talked mm-hmm. about possession, and, I mean, then I'm sold. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Who doesn't want a group of spunky tweens, you know, exercising Beelzebub? I think everybody wants that. We do. We do. <laughs> Before we dive into uh, the Archie Horror comic, which I keep teasing and uh, alluding to that, that we'll get to it, we will, I promise. I did just want to 
hear a little bit about you as like a, a fan of horror. You know, like what is your favorite horror movie or piece of media? It doesn't have to be a movie. And also, uh, what is a piece of horror that uh, has scared you the most, Jordan? Uh, yeah, so I was a late bloomer when it came to horror. We didn't watch a lot of it around the house growing up, so it was something that I like experienced occasionally when I was like at a sleepover or something. So it took me a long time to build up my like horror armor. Like um, mm-hmm. the first couple horror movies I saw, you know, usually at a sleepover, it was at a friend's house or like on TV in the background. Really, really scared me. I think the first one I remember seeing and being like affected by was poltergeist i remember poltergeist being on at a friend's house and it just terrifying me like the getting sucked into the tv thing and all the clown stuff and the 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 evil tree just couldn't have scared me more like watching that movie now you're like that's a pretty campy silly movie but as a kid i was just like i was so traumatized by it and there's there's that scene when they go into the bathroom and they're ripping the face apart yeah as a kid, that that was my horror moment, I feel like, where I just could not unsee that. And then, yeah, you watch it again, and it's like, oh, that's pepperoni slices. Right, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, I think Poltergeist, you know, being PG and maybe having, like, Spielberg attached to it, I think was something that people put on at sleepovers or that was on mm. TV a lot. So I think maybe maybe... It, it traumatized a, a bunch of kids who were kind of too young for it. But anyway, I do like it now. I do really think it's a cool movie, um, but definitely scared me a ton as a kid. So I I didn't like, you know, I, I didn't watch a ton of horror, but until high school. So like high school, I, you know, I my freshman year of high school was 1996, the year Scream came out. And I think until then... And maybe this is just my memory, but I remember like there not being a ton of horror in theaters. It was like kind of a nerd thing or kind of a niche thing. And then Scream being such a huge hit caused this huge flood of horror movies, like cheap horror movies aimed at teenagers. And like it was such a social thing for the kids I grew up with. Like I had to either you know, grow a pair and watch horror movies or I wasn't going to be invited to hang out. So like... I kind of sacked it up, and I had this friend named Ryan Christian. Ryan Christian, if you're out there, thank you for the horror education. He, you know, had a big video collection and just kind of, like, took me through the classics. We kind of, like, fast-forwarded, you know, to, like, famous kills, and he's like, okay, this is the thing. It's a remake of an old black-and-white horror movie. It's one of the first John Carpenter movies. He also directed Halloween. There's a bunch of them. The first one is great. It gets less good. They're just kind of crazy, and he just kind of took me through horror history, and... Yeah, once I kind of built up the armor and, you know, got familiar with the tropes and, uh, you know, kind of locked into the way in which horror movies can be funny, I just loved it. So, yeah, I was kind of a late bloomer, but um, but eventually I came around and now I uh, now, now I love the stuff. So what is your all time favorite horror? Oh, so uh, yeah, I mentioned the thing. The thing is awesome. Cold ass take. I know. So good though. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, still as cool and scary today as it was then. I'm sure. Maybe even more so. I mean, I guess it was kind of a bomb at the time. So yeah, maybe it's even like you know. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess it's like just proof of how how greatly that movie has aged. 
Yeah, you know, as far like I did have a little period a couple years ago where I went back and did all the old Universal horror movies. Bride of Frankenstein is such an amazing movie. Oh, like yeah. so funny, so weird. Yeah, and I have a soft spot for the Resident Evil franchise. The oh Mila boy. Jovovich ones, <laughs> not any of the reboots. I just love those goofy ass movies. Um yeah, they're they're so cool. Some of them are surprisingly well made, some of them aren't. But um yeah, they're just like a ton of fun and I I will, you know, I ditched cable not too long ago, but before I did, I would always stop when they played on Sci-Fi Network, and I've got a couple of DVDs. I love popping those in every now and then. So, yeah, I don't know. Check out the Resident Evil franchise a little better than you remember. I can feel Nathaniel seething through the ether right oh, now. Oh, you know, not a fan, <laughs> huh? Uh, I just, I just love those games so much, and I hate those movies because they're not the games. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I respect that. I've heard that from a lot of people. I also love the games. Here's what I'll say. Here's my stance on that. Although it ditches, it, it ditches, you know, some of the characters and the plot points, I think it understands what's fun about those games. It, yeah, it's not trying to be something else. It is trying to be a Resident Evil movie, and it understands that the games are fun because they're crazy, because they're mm-hmm. campy, and because they kind of awkwardly integrate science fiction into <laughs> zombie shit. Uh, Which we'll also discuss in the movie today. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, but I I do not begrudge a Resident Evil fan not, not loving those movies, but... Um, me personally, I think I think they do a dynamite job reproducing the general fun of the games. I, I will give you that the second Resident Evil movie wasn't the worst adaptation of Resi two and three that I've seen. Oh yeah, yeah, they kind of crammed together the games into uh, into one plot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of thought thought that was cool. I kind of thought it was cool how they they took a, took stuff from both games, but. Um, but yeah, but obviously they go absolutely off the rails after then and don't <laughs> take anything from the games. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't look back after that point. But but you know, up until them nuking uh, Raccoon City and all of the stuff with Nemesis and stuff, I I was at least kind of on board. So I'll I'll give you that much at least. <laughs> but but yeah, like like they're they're very fun movies. Though I think I would probably want to watch them more in a. Uh, I don't know, mystery science theater kind of setting. You know what? I think they're great for that. I think you can dick on those movies with the with the room full of friends, and that they're a ton of fun. So I'm I'm with you on that. Well, shifting gears, because uh, obviously uh, Resident Evil movies aren't going to be this. So so what's the scariest horror for you? Oh, you know, let's see. Like, okay, I saw the trailer for that movie Skinamarink. I have not oh, seen boy. the movie. Because I know it will fuck me up. Because to me, the scariest thing is a long shot of a dark hallway. Ooh, okay. I get that. I get that. Like, domestic stuff fucks me up. Like, hereditary really messed me up. Um, Yeah, anything that's just, like, in a dark house that looks like it could kind of be your house. Um, For sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think that stuff really messes with me. Uh, Barbarian really messed with me. Yeah, and that that movie, you know, before it gets bonkers, it's just like long shots of dark hallways. Yeah. And, you know, like 
shadows that could be a guy but also might not be um yeah it's it's kind of that like quiet eerie domestic stuff that really like gets to me i always tell people that i'm very terrified of goats because that's okay. true they yeah. freak me the okay. hell out okay i'm listening but i'm but I'm adding hallways to my list of phobias oh, because that's man. fucking hate it's such a good point. I used to to work nights at a hotel and sometimes oh, staring yeah. down those long halls, yeah. you never know what's going to be at the end of the hall or what's going to turn the corner. Or... Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's now... so I mean, think about like the hallway shots in horror history, like The Shining. Um, yeah. Exorcist 3 has that fucking long ass hallway shot that's like so scary mm-hmm. um, I mean not, nothing else about Exorcist 3 is any good but um, that, that one shot is uh, is kind of amazing um, maybe yeah, I'm, that part maybe is I'm terrifying wrong. maybe I'm wrong about that maybe there's some other good things in Exorcist 3 anyway um, that's not the movie we're talking about but yeah so I think <laughs> that's, the, that's the stuff that really gets me Alright, well, Nathaniel, do you want to kind of dive into your Archie madness? You are so excited. <laughs> well, so I, I'm very excited to, to hear about you writing, yeah, for, for Archie Horror Comics, because uh, as, as I mentioned a little bit before we started recording, I just, like, Archie is like this weird gap in my, like, nerd pop culture knowledge. Like, you know, I read so many comics, but I I've never really picked up Archie. Like the closest I've come is uh, I read some of the more recent uh, Sabrina comics, oh, yeah. which were so messed up. Yeah. But other than that, I just, you know, like I, I, I recognize the, the basic characters. I know that, you know, they, they went with a gritty reboot with Riverdale and all that stuff, but like, I don't really know anything about it. So I guess Tell us a little bit about this, uh, you know, Archie horror uh, comic that that you wrote, and also just you know, like what what's the deal with Archie and and uh, <laughs> sure. and, and, and you know, Archie kind of having all of these different you know venues, everything from you know kind of the the sort of classic fifties you know uh, high school drama rom com kind of thing to them diving into horror. Yeah. So so I. I read a lot of Archie as a kid because my mom loved Archie. It's, you know, obviously it's been around since the 30s. So, like, it is something our parents, you know, probably (laughs) read. And my mom certainly did. So we had Archie Comics. It was something you kind of, like, got at the grocery store when you were good. Or, you know, if you were being bad, they needed something to shut you up. So they just grabbed an Archie. Um, Yeah, and those, like, original comics, they were comedies. They were kind of little gag strips and uh, didn't have a ton of continuity and were just kind of like funny, funny, colorful adventures um, with a fun cast of characters. You know, uh, Betty Veronica, Archie Jughead, of course, and then, you know, Josie and the Pussycats, Sabrina, and kind of all those related characters. Um, yeah, and just like it's the the line has just kind of been growing and changing with the times they're i think they're really smart about what they do with those characters they still like produce those like you know funny colorful light gag heavy comics and have like new characters kind of coming in and out of those but also you know obviously riverdale is such a huge show so they have comics based in the riverdale universe and then they also have the Archie horror line, um, which just takes those characters and puts them into these, like, you know, kind of fucked up horror scenarios. 
yeah, they had a big hit with this series called Afterlife with Archie, which was zombies, and a uh, series called the Jughead the Hunger, where Jughead was a werewolf. But you're great comics uh, that I would recommend to anyone. So yeah, the Archie folks are just kind of cool with like playing fast and loose with continuity stuff. They don't really <laughs> care who dies. Um, they can just come back in the next issue. It's fine. And yeah, I think they're just like such such funny, enduring, memorable characters that you can put them into all these wacky situations and the characters shine through. They're so much fun to write for. They're all like, they all have such clear like personalities and, you know, what makes them funny is so clear. So so yeah, the, the stuff I'm, I'm doing with Archie Horror, I'm trying to make, you know, horrific, but also kind of try and keep some of the like, gag spirit of the original comics and make sure that you know you're you're still laughing even when you're screaming i don't think we've actually said what this uh special uh archie horror special is called oh yes thank you thank you for prompting me it is uh it is called pop's chocolate shop of horrors it is three spooky tales set at the famous diner that you know and love from the town of riverdale um yeah it it was really fun to do that was kind of just the prompt was like we want some spooky stuff set in the diner and uh that's kind of like how I started pitching so uh yeah it's it's really cool they got a really cool team of artists and writers to contribute to this one uh lots of beautiful covers out there uh yeah it's out March 22nd and uh you if you are listening to this before then uh give your local comic book store a call and uh, have them pre-order it that's really helpful for comics as as comics readers know, those pre-orders are, are, are big, big, big for books. So uh, if you if you have a favorite shop, uh, throw in a pre-order. It, I, I think you're going to love it. Can, can you tease at all what, what the gist of, of what your story is about? Or? Oh, sure. I did it with a great artist named Liana Congas. Um, you know their work uh, if you read a bunch of the Archie books. And they've done some great covers for Star Trek. And there is a, oh gosh, uh, they have a great creator-owned series out now called Know Your Station that is like a slasher in space. Yeah, they, they were super fun to work with. We did a story called Soylent Teen um, <laughs> where Betty, um, Riverdale's most uh, Riverdale's favorite type A nerd, uh, leaves leaves her phone behind at Pop's Diner, and she goes back in the middle of the night to get it and finds something that will shock her, turn her stomach, and maybe even make her a little curious about the taste of human flesh. That's <gasps> Soylent Teen, part of Pop's Chocolate Shop of Horrors from Archie Comics, March 22nd. How was that? A scandal. <laughs> Wait, are you saying that Soylent Teen is people? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. You gotta buy. We're gonna have. I don't know. We're gonna have to read. I, I don't know. Why would I say something like that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have no idea what what you would ever be referencing from that title. <laughs> I actually, I still have not seen that movie. I have not seen Soylent Green. I just kind of know oh, the twist and thought it'd it be is wild. Fun. Yeah. Anyway, I got. I got to watch it. At this point, I there's, I have no excuse to not not watch it. So. You know, same. That that one's been on the list forever. I've seen 800 parodies, but I've never actually seen it. It's weird knowing the twist. It's weird when, like, the twist is the famous thing. You're like, oh, well, what's the rest of this movie about? Anyway. Yeah, I've heard that that twist comes pretty early in the movie, too, which is interesting. It it does, yeah. It's 
it's a very bizarre kind of dystopian type of a film. I don't know. You guys should watch it. It's a horror classic. You know, I yeah. watched uh, Omega Man last year, which is another uh, Charlton oh. Heston dystopia movie. I kind of was <laughs> I was into Omega Man, so it kind of made me think I would like Soylent Green, but um uh oh, I don't know why I still haven't put it on. See, I think Omega Man is the worst version of I Am Legend, but Oh know. yeah. But I have my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wacky, it's so 70s. Oh, yeah, it's it's 70s rific, but I mean, there's there's a, another version of uh of I Am Legend that was uh, Vincent Price, you know, in the 1950s, black and white. And if if you give me Vincent Price as an option, that is going to be my <laughs> no, one. Yeah. No, you can't 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 beat him. I'm 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 not suggesting that Charlton Heston holds a candle to the great Vincent Price. But yeah, uh, no, I should see that. I should see that version. Uh, that sounds like a hoot. Yeah, it's called The Last Man on Earth, and you can get it like free online on the Internet Archive. So oh, nice, awesome. It's fantastic. And actually really close to the book, unlike the other two movies. (laughs) Uh, We're also talking today, dear listeners, uh, about a film from 1997 called The Relic. Come out, wherever you are. Any idea about a weapon? Something big. The board is hosting a governor preview here tomorrow night. It would be a disaster for us if we had to postpone. We may have somebody on our hands who makes Jeffrey Dahmer look like a Cub Scout. You have to let the gala go on. Something's wrong. Quick details. It was directed by Peter Hyams. Uh, The script was written by Amy Jones, John Raffo, Rick Jaffa, and Amanda Silver, based on the novel Relic by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. There's a whole bunch of names for one one movie. And the script is great. I think we can all agree that <laughs> all of those people <laughs> made the script. their talents and made one of the greatest scripts of all time. Uh, uh-huh. No problems or 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 notes whatsoever. It, yeah, it was a movie we watched. Um <laughs> sure was. Well, since you suggested it, do you mind giving us a, a very brief rundown on what what the relic is about <laughs> sure and sorry <laughs> sorry for suggesting it uh this is a movie i had fond memories of seeing in the theaters and was like ah the relic i was kind of meant to rewatch it i kind of remember it having a cool monster which it does <laughs> yeah spoiler alert for my review i don't think it held up great on the rewatch um but it's certainly. it's a fun movie yeah, yeah i I, sure. I think we need to give it some credit like it's it's that quintessential 90s vibe right oh it, boy, it is 90s yeah, riffing. No maybe it doesn't age that great but i had fun watching it like yeah uh, the, the script is silly but i've seen worse <laughs> yeah it's not without fun it is it, it has its fun moments and, and we can we can get into those um but yeah just a, a general synopsis um the movie um, the inciting incident, a boat comes back from Brazil, I think, a cargo ship, and there's a bunch of dead bodies on it and some missing artifacts, uh, and a surly detective who just lost his dog in a custody battle um, <laughs> uh, decides... That they, they do not let you forget. <laughs> Boy, they really think that's funny. They really hit that joke a bunch. Uh, so yeah, this grizzled detective who's kind of a you know modern Raymond Chandler kind of kind of figure, which I think is a cool idea of this you know classic gumshoe is on the on the trail of this kind of supernatural you know murder monster. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, we got that going on. There's this kind of parallel story about a a 
scientist looking for a grant who works for a museum that's having a big gala. Uh, the monster gets out at the gala, <laughs> kills a bunch of people. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of it. Is that the relic? <laughs> did I describe the relic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. He's, he's you the, you the... did forget that the gala must not be stopped at, by any by any means just yeah insane yeah so there's murders at this museum and uh the the big you know ticking clock you gotta have a ticking clock in a screenplay that's true that's is they're true. having a big gala like like batman villains attack <laughs> it's like so oh, yeah. i would love I, it if the I monster really thought... was yeah if the monster was in there killing people and then just mr freeze walked in it's like oh i <laughs> This tracks. This tracks. Where's where's Poison Ivy? Yeah. Um. Anyway, and it's like the most important thing in the city. Like the mayoral race depends on what happens at this gala. The mayor is demanding that it take place despite the murders. It's a great yeah. time. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it, it it is. It has a lot of like silly, campy fun. Um, and a really cool monster from Stan Winston. The monster. Uh, you know. It, it's practical sometimes and CGI others. The CGI is is very not great, Bad. but um, the monster design is very cool. It's this kind of mutant that's a hybrid of a lot of different strands of DNA we find. So it's a little <laughs> reptile, it's a little mammal, it's a little human. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a very like cool monster. If you Google relic monster, um, you can see it without having to watch the movie. <laughs> I think that gives us a pretty good rundown, and and yeah, I think definitely the first thing to highlight is is the creature effects. Uh, when when we had the practical effects going on, it was real cool, and when it was the digital effects, it was significantly less cool, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stan Winston, freaking, he he doesn't mess around when he designs monsters. I mean, dude worked on the thing, he worked on. I mean, just so many movies. So, uh, yeah, it looks real cool. I really like that uh, that look that, that we had for it. And, and it, yeah, the, the way it moved, the way it hunted, the way it killed. Uh, always always entertaining, at the very least, even though it seemed to have this weird proclivity to just rip people's heads off and do nothing else. <laughs> um, you know, I okay, th- things we like about the movie. I love the premise that this monster needs to eat a certain part of the human brain to survive a, a very so i am a neuroscientist by um okay. training well, my then, well you in... would probably loving this then <laughs> I, I mean yes <laughs> uh, to be clear i'm not a neuroscientist my degree's in neurology but the the hypothalamus is just this very specific and small part of the brain the fact that this creature was able to just like pinpoint that and extract it was just uh, I, my favorite line from the entire movie was, oh, I wrote it down. Where is it? Where is it? What's he doing? Starting a hypothalamus collection? <laughs> that is a good line. Yeah, oh, the monster will remove the head and then remove the brain and eat the little the hypothalamus, but leave the rest of the brain and head. So it like just dismembers people in the most gruesome way. I, I do really like that part of the movie. It's so ridiculous. It's so fun. And yeah, just like a great excuse for gore. Um, yeah. I, I think that's definitely one of the, uh, one of the best, the, one of the best things about the movie. Yeah. And I, I, where we're focusing in on kind of what we liked about the film, I think we all have to kind of give credit that it is a fun monster film. 
totally. Um, I wrote down in our kind of outline that it gave me a lot of the same vibes that movies like Arachnophobia or even Ghostbusters kind of give, where there's this kind of peril going on and it's this crazy creature and it's set on this 90s backdrop and there's something almost comforting about that. Maybe that's because <laughs> we're all kind of millennials. Uh, but it, it's fun. I, I had not heard of this movie and so I kind of went into it a little blind and i was very impressed overall i had a good time yeah i mean i think you know the monster don't show up for a while um true and true. yeah and and uh <laughs> and yes and most of the time when you see him it is very dark this is a dark movie not just in content but in lighting mm-hmm. uh this is like <laughs> new batman movie dark it is <laughs> It is <laughs> important episode of Game of Thrones dark. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I and I like I I have like a bright living room so I like intentionally bought a like slightly more expensive than I was comfortable with TV just cuz I knew like oh I have to have one, you know, where you can see in a bright room and I was like this fucking movie, why did I even buy this dumb TV? I was mad at the TV. But I think I that's just, I think it's just a dark ass movie. Yeah, and 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 you know, and, and I do definitely love that format of monster movie. I will you know, I will say that <laughs> other than other than the morgue attendant who I think we all loved, it just yes. it, you know, the characters aren't great. They're kind of mean to each other for no real reason. Everybody's just like yeah. a weird dick to each other. You know, and whereas, you know, your arachnophobia is and your Ghostbusters have like those memorable casts and those great performances. Oh. For sure. I, I, I'm not comparing these against those. Um, just kind of the energy it was giving off. For sure. Yeah. yeah, we could say a lot about the characters. Maybe let's reserve that for when we talk about things we, we maybe <laughs> sure. did not yes. like. Because yes. yes. there's yes. plenty to say. Well, I guess another good thing, uh, the set pieces are really fun. Like like the museum, the exhibits, this whole, like, I don't know, the, the exhibit that they, like, walk through this, like, big mouth thing and all that was pretty cool you know made for some some exciting kills and of course you know lots of glass and and dramatic things to be broken uh or the lab uh, you know behind the scenes made for for lots of fun things for the monster to just rip through as though it were paper lots of of great uh cool stuff to get destroyed that was uh, a lot of fun um yeah i'm sure that the set builders had fun making it really pretty to just get utterly wrecked constantly so that was always fun too. Yeah, like really anything like that we could see when when things were going on uh, in terms of the action and the the kills and stuff. I was having a good time. Yeah. Again, there weren't nearly enough of those. Yeah, there's a lot of good gore. I think when you when we first see this like cargo ship that uh, you know that ran aground, there's some dead bodies uh, under some boards that are really kind of cool and gross. And yeah, you know, the the monster obviously has this like insane way of killing people and and he definitely like rips some dudes apart in some really like cool, fun ways. So I I like that it is kind of like, you know, the gore that maybe you wanted from Jurassic Park at the time, but didn't get. (laughs) So yeah, I I, I do like that it's a hard R and and some uh, some of the kills are a ton of fun. Um, I have to give credit to those two little kids who are just little shits. Um, loved them. <laughs> they embodied like quintessential '90s so well. Wait, so um, okay, what happened to them? Because you see them, you see something <laughs> lunge at them from a first person. You think that they're dead, but a l- later one of the cops just say like, "The kids found something." It's like, did we? What happened to them? Did I just look at my phone during that? So I. <laughs> 
I don't know either because I was watching the movie and I was like, wait, where did the kids go? Yeah. What happened to the kids? They, they do just kind of vanish. Yeah, I, I, I assume they must have, uh, you know, been, been uh, filming later than, than they were allowed to have kids on the set <laughs> after that right. point. So, you know, so they could capture how dark everything needed to be. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it did say something like, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the kids told us about this thing and that. And I think ultimately they're the ones who found one of the bodies in the museum. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was the implication, and then that scared them away, and then, you know, we stopped having those entertaining, uh, you know, random romps of these kids looking around and definitely getting into stuff that they shouldn't, uh, paired with uh, eminent peril. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I wonder, yeah, anyway, I wonder if there's, like, a longer <laughs> Snyder cut of this movie that where you see what happens to the kids. I was very confused by that. Anyway, but yeah, the the kids do have like sassy 90s kid energy and are just, yeah, like mean to everybody. Uh, I also really liked Linda Hunt. She was kind of the curator of the gala or whatever, this kind of short lady with the big glasses. She wasn't like a fully realized character, I don't think. She was a plot device, of course, but I just want to be her when I grow up. You know, I want to give Goals, that same yes. like feisty museum curator sass. That that's that's the dream for Max. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta capture that Edna mode energy. From yes, very incredible. I I do like that uh, our scientist character that that we mentioned, uh, Margot. That we actually get to see her use like her knowledge of science to fight the the monster, the Kathoga, I believe is what it's called. That was fun. That that you know she was able to very quickly uh, put some chemicals together and and you know use that to light half of the you know building on fire and uh, ultimately kind of defeat this this creature. Um, that that ending and 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 her using that expertise apparently is not what happens in the book. The the book, I guess they just shoot it. Very exciting. Um, <laughs> so I I liked that you know we kind of have this different uh, take and and that that we get to see you know a, a character who is competent in a certain field actually use you know their expertise in in a way that's meaningful to the plot um, instead of it just being uh, you know set piece for her to you know wear glasses and look into microscopes off and on to to do science at us well and along those same lines i really appreciated the autopsy scene Uh, again i i'm a biology kind of a guy and so hearing a lot of the terminology that they were going over in the autopsy was pretty accurate and usually in cinema and movies tv whatever it it is not uh so that that felt very real and it kind of pulled me back into the story a little bit of course there's the weirdness of the hypothalamus but (laughs) it it resonated and again i think there are a lot of like little good nuggets in this film and if you zoom in on those nuggets it's really fun but when you take the film kind of as a macro level that's where it you know kind of falls short i think if you started this movie when like the museum gets locked down I think that you've got a pretty fun half hour of monster kills and weird yeah. science gobbledygook. Yeah, I, I yeah, because I, I do remember like ha- starting to have fun once the shit hit the fan, but feeling like it took a long time to get there. But yeah, I think if you like start this movie wh- while they're looking at the computer 
that's sequencing the DNA of the monster and you learn that it's a weird mutant hybrid and then you just watch to the end, you're having a good time. Should we kind of move into things that maybe, uh, yeah, didn't didn't work so well? It's kind of spilled over into our, our good discussion, so we might as well just dive on in. Let's talk about some characters, uh, especially, yeah, our, our lead detective, Vincent D'Agosta. Uh, D'Agosta? I don't, I don't know how to say his last name. Um, he drove so, me nuts. Yep. <laughs> He was kind of a beefcake. There were some moments where I was like, is he cute? But then <laughs> he'd open his mouth and I wanted to punch him. So. <laughs> yeah, it just, they, I, I think in, in, in place of giving him a personality, they gave him two things. One, that he is very upset about losing a, a dog in a divorce. Again, they, they had that joke 850 yeah, times. Yeah, there's a lot of callbacks to that and uh it gets less funny every time. <laughs> there's some oh. there's some bad comedy in this movie. There is some very bad comedy in this movie. And also that he is superstitious. Right. We also get reminded about that roughly every 3 minutes. <laughs> oh, just going back to the dog real quick. I think the worst instance of the dog joke is that he's He's like talking to somebody on the phone, like, give me those files. I need the files. And then he's like, oh, you heard about the dog? What is it? On the internet? And it's like this, <sighs> it's clearly just this time in the 90s when the internet was a punchline. You could just say internet and like that was a joke. I feel like there was a time, like kind of recently, where you could just say Uber. Like, yeah. call an Uber, and then, like, that was a joke, and I feel like it was just, like, this is this buzzy zeitgeist thing, and we'll just have him say, you saw it on the internet, and, like, that's all the comedy writing will have to do. It sucks. It's kind of like, what did you do, Google it? You know, kind of the same. Yeah, way. it is. It is kind of that 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 same, like, lazy, just, like, put in a buzzword. There's also a some, like, Night Watchman-type guys, and... You could tell they're like, okay, these guys are going to get killed, but they need to be talking about something before they get killed. So we'll just, like, give them a conversation. And one guy's like, have you tried a latte? Have you tried these lattes? They're so smooth. And the other guy's like, I like espresso. And it, like, well, there's there's espresso in a latte. So these guys, like, disagreeing about it doesn't make a ton of sense. And just, like, I could just tell, like, Latte was a funny word that someone heard. It was a stand-in for, like, she-she coffee drink. And they're just like, these guys should be talking about lattes. Everybody's drinking these lattes. It's just, like, so dumb. Yeah, yeah. Like, all of the cops that weren't our, our lead cop were just boneheads. Like, every single one of them is, is you know, has, has you know, the... Uh, their brains could be carried in a thimble levels of, of, you know, just. You could say that their hypothalamus was removed. You could say that <laughs> you could. Oh, maybe that's uh maybe that's a little twist. We didn't know. It just, all um, of these guys um, the, had the their hy- hypothalamus eaten out before, uh, before they appeared on screen. It has nothing to do with upper cognitive thinking. So right. probably not. <laughs> um, the more, my... you know, the biggest thing for me that just made me laugh through the entire film was this dumb gala. It was yeah. like 
world-changing. They could not stop the gala. People are dying. And not just, like, not just dying. They were getting decapitated. And they yeah. still could not stop this gala. It just Was there a time in American history when these galas were a big deal? Because I just know it as a trope. I just know it as where the Batman villain attacks and, like... <laughs> Yeah, if you want to see a bunch of, like, rich people get killed, which, you know, I, I understand wanting to see that. That's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, it just seems like they're these things that only exist in movies. Um, so you have, like, you know, the Met Gala and stuff. Okay, which maybe that's a good example of... Are, are big world. and fancy, but, you know, a pandemic shut those down. Yeah. I, I would imagine decapitation at the place where the Met Gala is happening would also shut it down. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's a good real-world example. That's, like, enough of an answer to that question, I think. But, no, no, we, we'd need them to, to be in conflict with it, but, you know, so so that way we could have the mayor's famous speech about how his wife's cleavage got him elected. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, so the mayor, apparently this gala is important to him winning the election, and, yeah, he has this run about his wife's cleavage. Anyway, this is going to sound pervy. I promise this is just a practical complaint that I have. When we see his wife, she, she has no cleavage. She doesn't have noticeably, <laughs> you know, prominent boobs, nor is she showing a lot of cleavage. It's like. I thought that exact same thing, just, Jordan. When... I'm like, yeah, I was, I'm, and they build it up. You're just anticipating, like, you know, an Anna Pamela Nicole Anderson Smith coming in. Yes, a, a you know, <laughs> the bosomy babes of our youth. But it's it's just like so it's like say that she has long legs, you know, say that she's got a, a, a tight butt like don't it, when you've cast the person, you can't anyway. It's so dumb. It, I just it's like, come on, this sucks. I have seen drag queens with more cleavage than this lady. Yeah, like just <laughs> just it was so boring. I, I don't know. I, I thought that exact same thing. I was watching this yesterday and she walks in and I'm like. Well, well, where the hell is the cleavage? We had like a whole scene dedicated to her boobs. Yeah. Where are they? What happened? Yeah. I know. It's just, you, can't yeah, how the, you, you can't put the cleavage uh, gun on the mantle if you're not going to let it go off. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's Chekhov's boobs. <laughs> where did the boobs go? We want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Can we also talk about like my other least favorite character, Dr. Lee? Oh, the yeah. grant-stealing, skeezy scientist who constantly schmoozes the rich people at the gala and is just unwatchable. Yeah, he's an example of, like, everybody in this movie is a jerk and a jerk to everybody else. Like, no one is, no one likes each other. And, you know, I don't need this to be Ted Lasso, but, like, it just, like, makes for an unpleasant watch. Like, the comedy is not good and everyone is mean. And it's just like, what What the, who cares if any of these people die? And I know that can be fun sometimes. Like, you know, a white lotus or whatever. But, like, everybody just sucks so bad. And this guy in particular, like, is just mean to his fellow scientists. And But they're mean to him. Like, there's a competition for a grant going on. And they're like mad at him for going for the grant but i'm like can't anyone just go for the grant it's his right he has a thing he wants to study don't yell at this guy for going for this grant like you just you make a better presentation than him i don't know but yeah but he was such a dick it was just this thing where i'm like i'm (laughs) i just hate everyone i just hate everyone involved and i don't like watching them yeah Yeah, and he got so much screen time 
Boy, he it's really those... did. Yeah, they really thought this guy was this guy was funny. I don't know who the actor is, and maybe he's good in other things, but yeah, he's just like so not fun to watch. And it's one of those things as well that if none of the characters like each other, we're not going to like the characters either. And it takes you out of the fantasy. Um, and to your point, again, similar to the gala, it, it's Grant. I worked in academic research. Like, anybody is up for that. It doesn't matter who you are. So it just was this weird plot string that they were pulling on way too hard to create drama almost that just didn't work i know yeah i did not need like the grant dispute at all yeah, it, it had zero place in the film like it, it was not needed yeah and again that was like 30 minutes of screen time was just talking about it not even like any stuff that resulted from it just just talking about this grant so we have something for these people to talk about yeah, or, you know it does. Yeah, the movie seems so padded, and like, you know, it's not a super long movie. It's like an hour and forty minutes, but yeah, it just feels twenty minutes too long. Still, it's like, yeah, it'd have been nice if there was like, can we get some some sub mutants before the big mutant? You know, like, yeah. can they? Because you know, these monsters, according to the lore, can be any combination of any animal, and that could. You could create some cool creatures, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure budget was a consideration. Maybe there is a version of this script that has a ton of monsters in it, but like, I don't know. I mean, I think she squashes a big spider at some point that I guess was mutating, but it's like, I don't know. Can we, before we get to the big boss, aren't we supposed to kill some mini-bosses first? I know that's video game logic, but like, man alive, something needs to happen in this thing. <laughs> um. I also kind of want to talk about the monster itself because while I enjoyed kind of its representation, like a chimera is a really fun idea. They tried to spin it in this weird, like South American European folklore thing. And I'm an occultist. I, I really like demonology. I really like religion and mythology. And so when they're describing the Kothoga and how it's this ancient demon from South America that was worshiped, but it's Satan at the same time, and it's it's. Just... I, I think they call it the son of Satan at some point, mm-hmm. uh, right? Like it so does. It... You know, you can summon it to do your to do your bidding, right? So, is it a South American like deity, or is it a you know Judeo Christian son of Satan? Because South America would have no idea who Satan was, right? It it just it it didn't work for me it felt very much that kind of americanized christianity of everything that is foreign is just christianity in disguise yeah i i i do not know enough to like comment on this but i i i suspect this movie is is probably pretty xenophobic too it definitely has Uh, like these (laughs) these these kooky foreigners and their wacky mutants it definitely um yeah again i don't know enough about like south american culture or religion to comment on any of this well but um yeah it 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 does seem like this movie has kind of an icky these yeah these foreigners and their monsters are coming to kill us kind of vibe that well um, and isn't too fun yeah and and actually because i i looked a little bit into you know what what was the book like is it actually you know better um it doesn't seem like it's that much better. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the the beats are the same, but it actually like explains like kind of 
a, a twist that I'm I'm, I'm going to talk about a little bit that also really didn't work for me, especially in this movie. Um, but yeah, there's there's some like kind of context, I guess, for why this random South American tribe was you know somehow you know sending this monster to america because that's kind of what the twist is right like we find out that the kathoga big scary monster was actually this anthropologist we see at the beginning of the movie um who was trying to like prevent the boxes from being sent we think that he must have died on the ship um but you know it turns out he is the kathoga he he transformed um and yeah i don't i still i kind of like that in theory is a twist it, you know it, it it could have felt like something if that character the character who transforms and our hero paleontologist had some history i think she doesn't like mm. like him she she you know i think generally like says that he's kind of a jerk or that you know whatever i i, I think she kind of sort of doesn't like him and maybe that's enough and maybe that kind of implies a history but i don't know if it, if if there was something where, you know, he was harassing her at the museum or something, and then he comes back as this monster that's literally trying to kill her, it's like okay, that's that's some that's something that's a thing. But um, yeah, it just seems like oh, it's this guy she kind of knew and didn't really like, and now he's a monster. And also, how did he get in the on the boat? Did he put himself in the crate? What's the logic of that? Uh, I I. I think what it was is he was trying to pull the leaves or something out of the boat. He like hopped onto the boat to try to find the boxes that he was shipping to rip them out. Um, again, didn't do a great job of explaining any of this. And then, uh, then the boat started to leave with him still in the cargo thing. And yeah, then I think we're supposed to assume that it got out of one of the boxes and, and killed him, but it turns out he being on the boat is what then kind of unleashed this menace on all of the living beings on the boat. Okay. Which I, I love that, that image by the way of, of, yeah, this creepy boat, you know, just arriving, you know, everyone's dead on it. It feels very Dracula. Um, yeah, for sure. But it just, yeah, just didn't ever quite come together. Um, but yeah, so I guess part of what, what the book was doing is it was basically something along the lines of the uh, South American tribe that uh, he was studying, that basically performed some ritual that you know made him start to transform into this monster. Um, they wanted him to be sent back to America to wreak some havoc because they were mad at Americans for burning down some rainforest or something like that so no i, it was... I didn't i didn't uh i didn't catch that that i kind of yeah. like that <laughs> that's kind of a neat twist i mean obviously it is you know kind of uh feeds into that you know evil foreigner narrative that's not great but also yeah i kind of like them sending it as revenge that's kind of funny yeah yeah like so at least like it, there is an explanation it's just you know nowhere in the script of the movie somehow those four people who who were working on it just never uh tied that in and instead were just too busy writing you know divorce dog jokes yeah oh is that is that a detail in the book the the, yeah. the oh, yes, okay oh okay yeah that's that's there's there's some fun there yeah but other than that it seems like it's basically the same except that it's in new york instead of chicago and 
other than that, yeah, it's it's very similar from everything that I was reading. There's so, like a uh, there's like a series of them, right? It's, I I think feel like I read somewhere that there's like more than one relic book. Um, I didn't see any, any indication of that. I can chat. Yeah, I think we've come to the point where, you know, we've, we've talked about the good, we've talked about the bad. Let's wrap this up. This movie uh, probably doesn't need any more of our energy. <laughs> okay, uh, so yeah, let's talk ratings. Uh, so uh, on that uh, 1 to 10 scale, uh, how do we want to give it uh, as far as crowns go? How, how good is this movie? And I'll start us off, uh, I'll give it a five and a half. It's probably more than it deserves, but I had a very fun time watching that second or the last half hour of the movie, regardless of how little I could tell what was going on. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, like this seems like a movie that is just fun to make fun of with people, and so I had fun with it, regardless of the fact that it, frankly, isn't actually that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I gave it a four, a little bit lower. Uh, originally, I, I rated it as a six, but then I took a step back and started thinking about it a little bit more um, and dropped it down to a four. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm probably going to go four, two. I, although I, I, I kind of understand how it could be kind of a fun surprise if you hadn't heard of it. And then it, it has some of this kind of bonkers stuff in it. And also, I, 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 I realize it probably has a lot of value as a, you know, dick on it with friends you know, sit around and smoke weed and crack jokes type of movie. Um, so that actually could be fun. I watched it, you know, alone eating cereal, so didn't have a great time. But yeah, maybe if it's a little like group hang type thing, that that could be a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, I, I just think the, the, the cool stuff is kind of few and far between. The rest of the movie is kind of a slog. I think you can get the idea watching like a clip compilation on YouTube if you want to like see the monster and some of the, you know, some of the funny weird lines. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure somebody has cut it together on YouTube. And that, I think that's, that's a that's a better use of time than actually watching the movie. And on a uh, one to ten scale, uh, let's talk about screams. Uh, I gave it a three. Uh, there are a few pretty gruesome and and creepy moments throughout, uh, though you know it might be more of a two and a half than a three. I don't know. It didn't really uh, disturb me that much. <laughs> yeah, I gave it a, a two. I mean. There's some gore that's fun. It's not necessarily scary, but um, it, it didn't bore me. Um, it wasn't like a rom-com, so I gave it a two. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll 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 do maybe a three for this. I think some of the gore is is disturbing, especially kind of finding those early bodies on the ship. There is oh yeah, there's a kind of a fun ick factor to it. There's a lot of fake fake out scares in this. There's a literal cat. There's a cat on the ship that jumps out there's the the med students are playing a prank and they hold a skeleton up to the window there's so many fucking fake out bullshit scares in this that like make the actual scary stuff uh i think less impactful um but but yeah but there's some some kind of like there's some some gore that got me um and you know a couple of dark hallways i'll say as a as a as a man who's scared by a dark hallway this had a few and some dark other rooms as well and dark everything every all dark rooms yes all right well um i guess to wrap up uh this episode a little bit um let's just uh, talk about how we're staying spooky uh max how are you staying spooky 
Oh my lord. Um, a few nights ago, I watched Jeepers Creepers Reborn. Um, I really enjoy the first Jeepers Creepers. Uh, I, I think it's an underrated monster film. Uh, I like it too. Hell. I like it too. I'm with you. I think Jeepers Creepers is a blast. I think Thanks, that is kind Jordan. of like the kind of movie that you wish this movie was. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, I saw that they made a remake 2022. I was like, okay, it's not going to be good, but it will be fun. And oh dear Lord below us. Um, the actors were slipping in and out of accents. Um, the, the dialogue was just the most clunky dialogue I've ever seen. And then about halfway, I think they ran out of budget because it felt like, um, in Schitt's Creek, when Moira goes to be on the crow inning too, you know, and they, they have all of that green screen crow effect. Yes. That was this movie for the last like half. Um, it is so bad and I paid seven fucking dollars to rent it and <laughs> I I just need a cleanse. I need to watch something really good because it was just hot trash. Oh, but it was the creeper, so I guess there's that. Um, Jordan, what are you doing to stay spooky? Uh, yeah, I just finished... Um... Well, I'm late to the party on this, I know, but I just finished the first season of Yellow Jackets, and I thought it was great. Um, if if you have not heard of this show, it is it is a Showtime, so um, you know maybe maybe a little harder to watch than your than your Netflixes and your Hulus, but um, uh, if you can, really give it a shot. It's a great show, uh, mega '90s vibes, as it is uh, partially a period piece set in the '90s. Yeah, and it's about a um, a group of teen soccer players who uh, who on their way to the big game uh, crash land. They're flying to the big game, and they crash land in the mountains. And it's kind of a parallel survival story at that time. And then it shows the ones who made it out as adults and kind of how they're adjusting and they're kind of. Uh, dealing with this blackmail plot, so you see the survival stuff uh, that gets that gets pretty fucked up, and then you you see their lives after the incident, and it's just super well done. Uh, a lot of your '90s faves in there. You got a Christina Ricci, you have a um, Patricia Arquette. Uh, both of them just given super fun balls out performances, and yeah, some really creepy gore and horror stuff too. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yellow Jackets. So I, I tried to get into Yellow Jackets, and I made it about halfway through the first season, and I just wasn't resonating with any of it. I thought it was just really slow. Does it kind of turn a corner? Should I give it another go? Um, I mean, I think if you weren't, if you weren't into, the, yeah, I think you gave it a chance. It sounds like, and and I think you're right to say that it's slow. It's definitely got that prestige TV problem of being a little padded out. Maybe it should have been eight episodes, and it's <laughs> ten episodes. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I think you got a got a pretty good idea of what it was. I think if it's not for you, it's probably just not for you. Um, gotcha. But but yeah, I'm I I was really digging it. I'm excited for the next season, which I think is coming up soon. Yeah, I, I've only watched, I think, one episode so far, and then my uh, Showtime trial ran out. Um, so, yeah, I, I really dug it so far. So I uh, will definitely finish that season and uh, yeah, dive in uh, some more. 
Well, uh, I have been staying spooky lately uh, as well by um, getting back into Hellblazer comics. Mm-hmm. Um, always really enjoyed me some some Hellblazer with you know John Constantine and his snarkiness and sarcasm and you know all of the deeply messed up stuff in those comics. Um, but you know, I, I just kind of long kind of picked and you know just picked up random books from the library or whatever. Uh, and so I just decided I'm just going to read through it all the way through. I'm, I don't know, five or six volumes in right now, and uh, it's fantastic and very messed up. Um, so if you haven't read Hellblazer, but you know, maybe you've seen any of the Constantine, uh, you know, the, the Keanu Reeves movie or the uh, tragically short-lived NBC series or even, you know, watched Sandman and then saw Joanna Constantine or whatever. Um, definitely worthwhile. I really like Hellblazer. And awesome. I, I will say it's a lot better back when it was, like, just a Vertigo title before they kind of started incorporating him into the DC universe. He's great, but they don't necessarily know what to do with him, I think, in a lot of the newer comics, unfortunately. Um, yeah, Hellblazer. All right. Well, um, before we let you go, uh, Jordan, where can people find you online? What, uh, any any final plugs, pitches, anything like that for, uh, for the, the good people? Uh, yeah, the chat podcast I mentioned, Jordan, Jesse, Go. That's at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, Pop's Chocolate Shop of Horrors from Archie Comics. That's at your local comic book store March 22nd. Pre-order now. All right. Well, um, since I don't think there's anything else to say, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.